Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode. I'm one of your hosts, and I am back, uh, Dr. Sharon Joe. Welcome back, Sharon. Woo-hoo! Nice to have Turkey you back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm your other host, soon to be Dr. Andrei Kurenkov. And uh, this week we'll be covering some really fun stories. We'll be talking about how Meta, aka Facebook, is creating better concrete with AI, how we can use AI to deal with annoying cookie pop-ups, uh, how we can use machine learning to model uh, volcanoes, and uh, a new kind of fancy neurosymbolic model. We will talk about a somewhat concerning algorithm that screens for child neglect, and also the AI skill gap in Europe. And we'll finish up with the DARPA Subterranean Challenge and AI-generated Harry Potter characters. So let's go ahead and dive straight into our first story in applications and business. This is Meta using AI to create greener concrete for its data centers. And this is from datacenterfrontier.com. Very relevant publication. So uh, this is kind of a summary of a paper that came out called Accelerated Design and Deployment of Low-Carbon Concrete for Data Centers. And so researchers at Meta and the University of Illinois uh, at Urbana-Champaign are using AI to reduce the environmental impact of concrete. So concrete uh, has a really huge uh, level of CO2 emission. It actually accounts for, um, or the cement in concrete amounts for 8% of carbon emissions globally. So it's a huge deal. And if you can make a new concrete uh, kind of formula, which uses less cement and more other materials, uh, that would be a huge deal. And so in this project, They used AI, used a generative model that basically found different formulas for concrete uh, that were still uh, kind of good in the sense that they had the same strength properties and other properties that you would want, uh, but also had 40% lower carbon impact than the usual things being used in that area. And they actually tried it out in an actual uh, uh, data center at, uh, cool. uh, yeah, and uh, actually made it, you know, this is still a prototype. It's not fully deployed, but they, they did create it and used it in a non-critical area of this one data center. So as, as part of that, actually, the researcher worked with Meta's concrete trade partner, Ozinga, to test and refine this uh Formulation. So they, they poured the test uh, applications in this data center and uh, it worked in practice, not just in theory. So again, super cool. What do you think, uh, Sharon? 
I think this is great work because there is a lot of work on making concrete uh, better for the environment, um, whether that's a new formulation uh, uh, or uh, or just using it less or finding a way for the whole supply chain to be um, uh, not as in, you know carbon intensive. And so this is a great direction. I'm glad Meta is working on something that is visibly positive for the world. Um, and they are uh, specifically using uh, VIEs, conditional variational autoencoders, um, to be particular uh, in finding uh, the desired properties. So using um, a model that is, I guess, like fairly quote unquote old now, <laughs> um, uh, but using it for this uh, very uh, very, not to say the word concrete, uh, purpose, <laughs> um, concrete application. Uh, and I'm, I'm impressed that they found that they were able to, you know, reduce, um, uh, carbon. I think the conditional average reduction for carbon, um, was as high as 42%. Um, and for sulfur, it was as high as 21%. So this definitely has um, really great potential in ha- having the climate change potential um, as compared to the average for a, a typical one-month uh, compressive strength formulation. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this paper is, is quite long and has a lot of fun details so it's it's not just about the model, it's about this whole process of design and deployment. So they go, regenerative machine learning is the first step that creates new formulations. Then you do lab testing to confirm it. When you do industrial testing, and then you do field deployment. Um, and they, they have uh, figures in the paper of actual concrete, like actual photos of it being poured and have a table that actually uh, kind of includes the 28-day strength specific, uh, like, uh, measurement. And uh, they show that it passes spec, so it, it actually is usable. Uh, so yeah, super cool work and and you know again i guess similar to what we've talked about with DeepMind, a demonstration of a very applied project that could already have uh, pretty major impacts i mean a lot of this work is just so uh so much about deployment and deployment takes so much work way beyond um the fancy model stuff and even gathering you know data sets to train and even getting things to work on distributed computers, like the, the deployment of these systems is really challenging. Uh, so this is a really, really big feat. Mm-hmm. And on to our next article, AI can now kill those annoying cookie pop-ups. All right. So a system created by researchers from Google and the University of Wisconsin-Madison named Cookie Enforcer is here to stop those annoying cookie pop-ups uh, from from, they say, manipulating people into making website-friendly choices that put their privacy at risk. So you know how those cookie pop-ups often make it easier to accept the cookies rather than decline them. Um, And so uh, they actually uh, made this cookie enforcer to be able to detect uh, when uh, cookies are being asked and also can predict which actions uh, to take to disable all the unnecessary cookies. Um, so it can actually help you choose 
to not accept all these cookies um, and to get non-essential cookies. And uh, they tested it on the top 500 websites in the Tranco ranking list. And the tool was 91% effective at automatically disabling non-essential cookies. So that is pretty, pretty good. I would say <laughs> I'm, I uh, think I don't do that correct action 91% of the time. So I'm very impressed with that. Uh, the tool is not open to the public yet, though I'm very excited to see it, but they do plan to launch it as a browser extension. And in the meantime, the article notes that uh, DuckDuckGo's new browser for Mac does help bypass cookie pops. Yeah, this is uh, really fun. And uh, I think I haven't come across just about anyone who considers these uh, cookie pop-ups a good thing. And personally, you know, I'm similar to you, I assume, where all I do is just accept whatever the website puts in front of me. So in a sense, this is like a good middle ground where the website still has this pop-up that lets you customize, but instead of, um, you know, putting it on you to know what settings to choose and, and to how to protect your privacy, you can have this browser extension that handles all that for you. And this browser extension is, I mean, this is pretty, pretty neat. They, they have this model, machine learning model, and it takes in this uh, machine readable representation of a cookie notice that they scan from um, like the HTML elements uh, of the web page. And that is translated to a set of clicks to make in the actual web page. So, um, yeah, I think this is uh, definitely something that just about anybody <laughs> dealing with these sorts of things can get behind. And uh, I'm looking forward to installing it on my own browser. Likewise, it's kind of sad that the cookie stuff came out of, you know, trying to help privacy when it ended up putting so many people at risk. So. And on to our lightning round. The first article is AI can predict missed appointments. How can hospitals use that data for better care? Uh, so missed appointments are a pretty common problem at healthcare systems. Uh, and machine learning researchers are now tackling this by using patient data to see what's causing patients to miss an appointment. The next article is startup Pony AI says it's the first self-driving car company to get a taxi license in China. Uh, so announced Sunday, Pony.ai actually received a taxi license, the first of its kind in China, uh, that allows it to operate 100 self-driving cars, just like traditional taxis, in the Nansha district of the southern city of Guangzhou. It's pretty big, and we've mentioned Pony AI before, so uh, excited to see how this deployment goes. Likewise, it's it's exciting to see, you know, uh, self-driving cars actually being used in places like San Francisco. And now it seems like this uh, city in China. And on to our other stories in the lightning round. First up, we have Vision Nav Robotics closes 80 million for AGVs. Uh, so actually talking about Chinese companies, Vision Nav Robotics is a Shenzhen-based company that develops logistics robotics and has raised more than 80 million uh, for Series C plus funding. And they develop these uh, autonomous kind of forklifts and other things 
that deal with um, tractors and things like that. So uh, automated guided vehicles uh, is what AGV stands for. And then uh, next up, we have armed with a new 100, 150 million rays, Oregon robotics startup sets its site on Pittsburgh. Lots of robotics stories in the sliding round. So this one is about agility robotics and it's uh, getting all this funding and is so ramping up its search for an Oregon site for a 200,000 plus square foot robotics factory. So, wow, that's, that's pretty fun. And it's also looking to expand into Pittsburgh. Um, so it's, it wants to move um, to find more space. So it seems like Agility Robotics is doing pretty well. Robots are taking over the world. Uh, yeah, baby, do my work for me. <laughs> And Agility, again, is a humanoid robot. So. Yes, it looks pretty cool. And on to research and advancements. Uh, first up, we have machine learning helps see into a volcano's depths. So this is a summary uh, from eos.org of a paper, Insights into Magma Storage Beneath a Frequency Erupting Arc Volcano, uh, in preferences, Villarica, Chile, from a unsupervised machine learning analysis of mineral compositions. A bit of a mouthful there. And the short version is that some volcanoes erupt frequently but change their behavior from explosive to effusive, so have different kinds of eruptions. And so you need to uh, anticipate uh, how explosive a given a volcano's eruption will be to you know, have good policy for your city to do solar defense. And so in this paper, uh, a fair number of researchers apply an unsupervised machine learning uh, technique here, hierarchical clustering. So uh, not quite uh, sort of, I guess, giant deep neural networks to analyze um, the crystal cargo of numerous eruptions from a single volcano over time. So it essentially allows you to look into a volcano and predict how explosive an eruption would be. Uh, and that's done by combining uh, the, you know, the uh, clustering, um, uh, finding populations of different crystal compositions and using that in thermodynamic modeling of magmatic fractation to identify likely conditions. I'm just reading off the article now. I don't know, this is pretty <laughs> jargony. But the short version is um, they uh, were able to use these patterns they found to uh, basically understand the history of explosive and non-explosive eruption events. And it could be really useful for forecasters to know how these volcanoes may erupt. Well, first of all, extremely cool application. Second of all, uh, as Andre and I discussed earlier, uh, you know, there's a, they, this paper actually includes an extra explanation, uh, which they title Plain Language Summary, which is, you know, an ELI-5 and explain like a five uh, type of summary about what is going on without all of the jargon uh, in a paragraph, just like, you know, an abstract, but a simple English abstract, so to speak. And I think that's great. I think 
honestly, in fact, that might be why the press has even picked up on it, that we, we're picking up on it um, and understanding parts of it. So uh, on a meta level, I, I very much encourage people to write such summaries. It's true. Yeah. Actually, I think if reading this plain language summary now, it's clearer than what I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's really quite, it, it has a pretty minimal amount of jargon. And they say that, like the key idea is, is that they group these minimal, mineral compositions for many eruptions of a single uh, volcano. And then they have some sort of maps that are appropriate to identify these dis distinct group of mineral compositions that were not yet identified. And then they that can be used to um, kind of model the history of this one volcano. So um, yeah, again, I agree with you that this is very neat. And it's uh, every time we talk about some sort of application of AI, that is interdisciplinary, that is uh, dealing with a different uh, area of science. I guess here it's um, geology, geochemistry. Um, it's always exciting to see that AI is having this impact outside of our real little realm of computer vision and LP and all that. Agreed. And on to our next article, Jurassic X crossing the neurosymbolic chasm with the miracle system. A miracle spelled M-R-K-L. Uh, so this is a paper that has come out and a blog post accompanying the paper that has come out from AI2, um, the Allen Institute of AI. Uh, and uh, it is a large language model again, and it addresses the issues that a lot of large language models have, which are they can't uh, access current information. They can't access databases, you know, specific company databases, for, for example. Um, not all of them, at least. Uh, they can't reason very easily. You know, they don't have good math capabilities. Um, they are very expensive to update. And so the miracle system uh, called Jurassic X uh, tries to um, address all of these uh, issues by um, being able to you know, use language models in a way where they're being leveraged best going from natural language to um, understanding the components of that natural language, which then routes to different APIs essentially of hitting, you know, it could be a calculator, a database, or another API um, of uh, the weather if you want something current um, or for, for the news. And then going through and um, aggregating all that and putting that through a language model again to give a response. Um, so uh, what's really important here to know is that um, this is you know, a different approach combining a lot of different things to make sure we can have systems that users can trust, um, especially when it comes to things like uh, you know, uh, current affairs. Uh, so, um, one example of uh, how how this might this process might go about uh, mentioned the article is that if the query is do more people live in Tel Aviv or in Berlin, um, the system will think you know I need to first return the population of Tel Aviv, then return the population of Berlin, then return which is bigger between number one and number two. 
Um, so then, you know, first step, it gets a population of Tel Aviv. Then second step, it uh, gets a population of Berlin. And then third step, it will actually determine which one is bigger. And then the result is Berlin. And that way it, you know, does much more accurately than um, other language models uh, for sure. And so this is an important step in terms of a system built uh, for a language model. Yeah, no, I think this is really exciting. And um, to be clear, this is not entirely novel. Uh, in NLP, there's been plenty of work on integrating kind of neural nets with more explicit forms of representation. And there's been work on the sort of like calculator uh, functionality. But this is different in that, you know, we've been talking a lot about these large language models, GPT-3, all of that kind of thing. And this is part of that trajectory where, you know, um, they show that, you know, we, we shouldn't forget all these, uh, you know, limitations that you mentioned of these models. And one way to make up of these limitations is by using these basically modules that they have of a calculator and a database and, a few other things that they uh, have, like um, Wikipedia API or whatever API. And yeah, you can definitely see how this can enable much safer, much more interpretable, expendable, uh, and, and powerful things. Looking at the paper, it does look like they have to separately train it for every application. So they have to hand train it to use a calculator by generating a label data set of inputs and outputs. So it's not um, kind of trivial uh, and it's hard to say how well it will generalize, but still, I really like this kind of hybrid approach. And I think um, hopefully there'll be more research like this. And on to our lightning round. The first article is engineers use artificial intelligence to capture the complexity of breaking waves. So uh, researchers are using uh, AI to improve ocean climate simulations and hone in on the design of offshore structures. And the second article is which animal viruses could infect people? Computers are racing to find out. And this is an article about how researchers have developed a model that could correctly recognize human infecting viruses more than 70% of the time. Wow, something that might be useful. You never know. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, the other stories here we have from Blurry to Bright, AI tech helps researchers peer into the brains of mice. And this is about how John Hopkins Biomedical Engineers have a new AI training strategy to capture images of mouse brain cells in action. And then we have another story, AI predicts lung cancer tumor growth after radiation. So uh, in a study that was published in the journal eBiomedicine, uh, this researcher described how they built a model that can predict uh, lung cancers patients' individual risk of recurrence within two years of radiation therapy, which I imagine is pretty good. Now then, uh, Sharon, you were in here last week. Do you know that we are selling out? 
<laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. We are. We're gonna have another ad. But as I said last week, we are selling out for a good cause because the thing we are selling That's is the thing idea. we are using literally right now. That's true, actually. And have been using for like two and years. Adore, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, we really do like this it. It's like works. I've made other people use Zencaster as well. Yes. So uh, with that out of the way, I can read this little spiel. So the Zencaster, our tool for recording this podcast, which we've literally used hundreds of times, uh, is sponsoring this episode. Uh, so it's a tool where you can basically invite guests and record a conversation with audio or with video. And what's nice about it is it records separate audio and video tracks. So for me, someone who edits a podcast, that really helps me get a nice uh, final output. Where if you record with Zoom or something, there all of it's mixed together and it's hard to really edit as well to get the best audio quality. It also has a nice cloud backup. It's easy to use. You just send a link. And uh, yeah, so we recommend it. If you could use something like it, you can go to zen.ai slash lastweekinai and get a 30% off your first three months of a pro account. Although to be honest, you don't need a pro account. You get most of it free. All right, add over. We're gonna get our money based on this. No, I don't get to pay for it. When we get paid. Um, moving on. Uh, sorry for selling out, but not sorry. <laughs> uh, we are, have our society and ethics stories, starting out with an algorithm that screens for child neglect raises concerns, and this is from uh, the APnews.com. This is a really quite detailed and long article, which I would say is very interesting. So I would recommend you click the link in the description to see all of it, but we'll try to give you a pretty good summary. So as the title implies, this is all about a family screening tool, which considers a ton of data elements and insights to estimate the likelihood of a given situation which was referred uh, to a social worker uh, to whether that referral is uh, needs to result in the child in question needing protective removal from the home within two years. And the idea is that it is intended to help inform call screening decisions. Uh, so it's not supposed to tell you if you need to investigate this referral or substitute, um, you know, the decision-making, but it, it is to help um, these uh, people who accept these um, calls that raise a concern in the first place. So this tool has been, you know, being trialed in um, Pennsylvania, in Allegheny County, and this uh, Associated Press review has a very detailed summary of sort of how it works and various concerns that have been raised over it. So to just give you a quick version, you know, it's a machine learning model. It uh, predicts this um, probability of uh, 
protective services needing, being, needing to be involved. And now there's a paper called Extended Analysis of how child welfare workers reduce racial disparities in algorithmic decisions that looks at whether it's biased, whether, you know, it's may have negative impacts. And in fact, it looks like there is a really big uh, accuracy disparity where it is much more likely to be wrong about black children than white children, which perhaps is not surprising, but of course is bad. Um, yeah, really surprising and, and, you know, another case where it's very clear that problems with bias and ethics are very much a real thing and are already present in society. Yeah, wow, this is, uh, I mean, I, I could see how people also see how this is, you know, an excuse to collect data on poor disadvantaged families. Um, but I, I could also see how this could, um, you know, like I, I do see how this is, you know, trying to do something very good and try to help with that screening. Of course, we just have to be very careful when deploy AI for something very sensitive like this, that it, you know, is most likely extrapolating uh, more than anything. Um, so making decisions on it should, you know, be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of a positive side is that the CMU research paper found no difference in the percentage of black families investigated after the algorithm was adopted. So the workers were able to reduce the disparity produced by the algorithm, um, which means that I guess it was implemented, you know, with the knowledge that the algorithm isn't perfect in mind. But the concern is, of course, if this gets uh, adopted more uh, elsewhere in other counties and other states, maybe the adoption will not be as well handled and the algorithm will lead to worse outcomes. So yeah, again, there's it's a very long article. There's a lot of other details about how the process isn't transparent uh, for this family court hearings. Uh, there's a, some details as to respo response of the county and just a whole lot on this topic. So very informative. And on to our next article, IBM Research details AI skills gap across Europe. Um, so uh, there's a big AI skills gap across Europe, and this is really preventing them from digital innovation um, and holding back economic growth, uh, the article says, with about a quarter of technical recruiters having difficulty finding applicants that fulfill problem-solving capabilities, um, as well as strategic thinking. Uh, and uh, along with soft skills, 40% of tech job seekers and employees noted that software engineering and knowledge of programming languages are the most important technical skills for the AI and tech workforce to have, which should not be surprising at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I actually expected more than 40% to say that, but that is what the article uh, is noting. 
And while tech employees in Spain and Germany, about 42% of them are given training opportunities on topics, including programming languages, data engineering and analysis and software engineering, the UK actually falls behind with just 32% receiving such training. So about 10% less. Um, so all in all, I think this, uh, th this article is about a report that shows that um, basically offering education and skills training is now a top priority for companies in Europe looking to improve AI recruitment in the future and that Europe is uh, lagging behind in many ways on that. Yes, for sure. And we've seen that uh, in practice, you know, um, there's way fewer startups in Europe for uh, other reasons and, and tech isn't as strong. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to note the difference where the Europe in general kind of lags behind uh, the US and Canada and China and several other countries, which are really heavily invested and, and have a lot of AI talent. So from a society perspective, hopefully this um, European, the European Union um, kind of strategy on AI, they have a whole big law being passed. Um, hopefully in addition to looking into ethics and, and so on, they do uh, support more research and more education because, uh, you know, if it doesn't sound like it sometimes, but here at this podcast, we actually like AI and uh, we like it when uh, more people work on it and do cool stuff with it. And on to our lightning round. The first article is U.S. Senate Democrats urge Buttigieg to develop autonomous vehicle roles. So a group of 12 U.S. senators, uh, Democrats, on Wednesday urge the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, to develop a comprehensive federal framework for autonomous vehicles, according to a letter seen by Reuters. Seems Next like a good time. idea. It does seem like a good idea, <laughs> um, especially since we're already kind of deploying them in many states and cities. Yeah. The next article is Tough Questions, Few Answers. The FDA wrestles with its approach to AI in medicine. Earlier this week, uh, the agency, the FDA, put one of its regulatory officers in front of a room full of scientists clamoring for answers on how the agency intends to regulate AI in medicine. I think the FDA actually has done a much better job than the rest of the government, but of course, it's um, it's just so, so important to regulate this properly in medicine. And our last stories here, we have Lyft exec Craig, Craig Martell tapped as Pentagon's AI chief. So um, as it says, there's uh, this Lyft exec, Craig Martell, who got hired for the CDAO role, this Pentagon AI chief. And some are saying this is a good thing because um, this is not sort of an internal uh, Pentagon guy. This is a more technically minded individual, but others say that Martel lacks Pentagon experience. He was a professor uh, studying AI for military, but has never worked in the department. Could be a problem. And then uh, next we have the risks of attacks that involve poisoning, training data for machine learning models. And there's some research 
that states that um, you know this is one of the common techniques for basically hacking uh, machine learning and uh, there's yeah research that the risks are still there and you know as we deploy models this is something to be wary of on to our last section our fun and neat stories Ooh. yeah first up we have q and a inside darpa's subterranean challenge from ieee spectrum so uh, this is a uh, story article which includes a pretty detailed article about what is darpa's subterranean challenge as well as an interview with the darpa progat program manager who ran the challenge and one of the teams who uh, were in the challenge. So to give you the short version, DARPA famously has had a series of challenges for uh, AI researchers, starting with, uh, I forget the exact title, but it was a challenge in 2003, 2005 on self-driving in the desert. I think it was the DARPA Grand Challenge or something. Yep. And that really spurred autonomous driving technology. Basically, a lot of the boom you saw in the late uh, in the you know uh, late two thousands, uh, early twenty tens was because of it. And so, more recently, we've had the subterranean challenge where you need autonomous robots to go into a cave and search for stuff. And this is obviously pretty hard. You know, these caves are dark, dusty, humid. And, um, you know, it's hard to remain connected to your operator if you have one, which means that you want a fair amount of uh, autonomy. And so, yeah, they have this challenge where um, a bunch of teams, I think it was like a dozen teams, actually deployed real robots, a mix of robotic teams to map uh, caverns and find artifacts uh, within these um, caverns, tunnels. And yeah, so this is a pretty detailed interview on that. There are some fun images. Um, overall, yeah, all these kind of challenges are really cool. And this is obviously fun to just see what these teams have put together. These tunnels look amazing. <laughs> Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. This is, I feel like pretty obvious, uh, in terms of its use case, um, for DARPA and, uh, defense and also many different applications, uh, that need robots to go in a subterranean environments. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, actually, I think the first DARPA challenge didn't go so well, but here, uh, by the end of the final stage, two teams had to each kind of beaten it, more or less. Uh, so they were able to map out the whole environment, fun, find all the elements of the cave and so on. And this, of course, can be useful for mining, for entering dangerous uh, areas, perhaps, uh, things like that. So pretty cool to see, once again, DARPA having a competition that leads to useful progress. And on to our last article, this woman used AI to show what Harry Potter characters would look like in real life based on their book descriptions. And my jaw is on the floor. 
Uh, and so uh, this is an article showing um, someone who, you know, put uh, descriptions of Harry Potter characters, as well as their names, I would like to add, uh, into uh, a generative model, uh, specifically with Artbreeder, uh, to uh, go from text to images. And so these are image renditions of um, by a model of uh, the different characters, like Harry, Hermione, and it keeps going, like a lot of different characters. Uh, and I think the article notes being very impressed and surprised at uh, at how similar the characters look, uh, just based on the descriptions. But I'd like to know that I think the names are also in there, and um, the language model that is being used to convert, you know, from text to image there uh, has learned um for sure the uh names of the different harry potter characters and so that's definitely embedded a bit is my my guess here um since they do look eerily close and the descriptions look pretty um pretty general um that being said it is uh still very cool to look at and to see people uh essentially paint the picture of different harry potter characters yeah this is uh Pretty neat. There's the images look, you know, fairly reasonable uh, as sort of paintings, you could say, of these characters. Uh, we should note this is a BuzzFeed article, so <laughs> it's uh, article is giving it a lot of, uh, you know, is maybe a bit generous. Uh, it's really just uh, a Twitter user named Miss Banana had this tweet thread uh, where she put it out. And um, I guess one of the fun things here, it shows how a very non-AI person, so this person looks like some sort of influencer type lady, not computer science or AI, but she used the tool Artbreeder to then do this little creative project. And you can, if you're, you know, anyone can use Artbreeder. I've used it quite a bit and it's a lot of fun. And it looks like she's now working on Game of Thrones characters. So uh, that's neat. Um, yeah, you know, light uh, article. We'll include a link as usual. And you can go and uh, check out these Harry Potter characters. And with that, thank you so much for listening to us this week. Um, again, you can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. Yeah, and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, assuming you aren't already, which seems unlikely. And if you are <laughs> subscribed, you can go ahead and review this podcast at Apple Podcasts, um, which would be pretty fun. We like to read uh, any new reviews we get at the outset, and it's always pretty exciting to see. So we do always appreciate it. And if you're too lazy, okay, if you if you don't feel like doing that, uh, feel free to just share it with any friends who are into AI, if you think they'd like it. And with that, uh, we're done. Be sure to tune in to future Last Week in AI episodes. That's right. Next week. See you there.